Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Sapia, for filling in. Um, kids, you are dismissed, and thank you so much. By the way, Tanisha is back home. I don't know if anybody noticed that. They're like, someone looks different up here. So we got a better singer up here now. Thank you, Tanisha. Well, good morning, everybody. Ooh, so exciting. I'm feedbacking. Uh, let me introduce myself. There are so many new people at Oasis, which I'm just thrilled to see, uh, that many of you probably don't know who I am, and that's okay. Uh, my name is John Sapia. I have the privilege, along with Brian Goggin and Jason Hubdy, to be licensed with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, my family is, we usually sit right around there. This is my beautiful wife, Lisa, and my daughter, Megan. Not Allie. Me- Allie's the older one. Megan and Caleb. I don't know. He went to the bathroom and had to come back. Don't look at him when he comes back because he'll kill me. But um, I just, as a dad, I'm wondering where he is, okay? Um, so Lisa and our family, we served in youth ministry for... Oh, Andrew's here too. I'm sorry. I forgot about Andrew. Andrew's working in the back. He, uh, he helps with the sound and the video. Oh, I'm in trouble when I get home, guys. Just... <laughs> Just accept it. Um, Lisa and I and the family, we had a privilege of serving as youth ministers here in Florida. Worked with Youth for Christ as well. Leland, we've known each other for like 25 years or something like that. And um, then we went overseas to uh, Paraguay, South America, where we did church planting um, in Asuncion, Paraguay. Uh, And now I have the absolute privilege of basically shepherding and pastors the the alliance churches in south florida so what that means is i'm seldom here which um people ask all the time you're a pastor well where's your church well i my church is oasis church in loxahatchee it's where my church is i just don't have the privilege of being here as often as i want so if you don't know me please uh when you get a chance introduce yourself i would love to to get to know you uh today is um brandon so well put We're going to talk about grace and God's graciousness. So I'm just going to ask, would you just pause for a second and just pray with me? Just sort of of still your heart a little bit. And I'm going to ask that you would pray with me, which means that you'll engage in the prayer. So would you just acknowledge this this morning? I'm here, Lord. I want to hear from you. It would be just terrible to come into a place where Jesus is king and your manifest presence is here and walk away the same as we came in. So John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your word Your word is truth. Lord, what do you want to sanctify in us today through your word? What do you want to teach us today? Lord, be glorified and be honored. We're listening. Are you listening, church? We're listening. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. So we're going to talk about uh, grace. (laughs) There was an old Newsboys song that talked about grace. It said something along the lines of grace is giving kindness to people even when they don't deserve it. It's kind of in short supply these days. 
I don't know about you, but it, it just seems to me, I'm turning 50 this year, so I, got, I, I can be nostalgic once in a while. I'm at that nostalgic age, I guess. Uh, 50's kind of fun, because you're middle of the road, half the room says, oh, sit down, young man, you have no idea what you're talking about. The other half of the room goes, oh my goodness, you're older than dirt, right? So 50's kind of that middle of the road thing, but I was being nostalgic the other day, and here's what I realized, that life just seems angrier. It's like we've, we, angry words are responded to by even angrier words. Compassion has been replaced with contempt. I, I heard somewhere the other day that the people in America have become addicted to rage. You don't believe me? Just watch the news without sound. Their faces say all that you need to hear. And I was, I was sitting in, on my back porch where I read my Bible in the morning. I'm sure you've got a place where you do this. And I, I'm sitting there and I'm reading through the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a fun book. If you're not aware of this, it is a microcosm of the Bible, they say. 66 chapters, 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters talk about basically the sin of the people and why they're in captivity. The other 27 chapters, which is a nice division between the Old Testament and the New Testament, talks about or focuses on the Messiah. And so I usually skip to the 40th chapter because I just, I'm ready for that. I get into about 10 and then I skip to 40. This time the Lord said, no, no, stay with me here. (laughs) And so I'm reading through and I get to Isaiah chapter 30. If you're taking notes, write this down. Look at this later. Check the whole chapter out. It's so worth it. We're not going to go through the whole chapter right now, but it's so worth it. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Andrew, you with me? I know I forgot you, but stay with me. Okay, buddy. Love you. All right. All right. Um, It says this. God is talking to the Israelites who's caught up in captivity because of sin that they've committed year after year after year. They rejected the the one who called them out of Egypt, who led them to the promised land, who entered them in to a a nation and cities that they did not build. They're eating grapes that they did not plant. And instead of rejoicing with the Lord, they reject him time and time and time and time again. And so God sends them to captivity, kind of to get their attention. And praise God, he only does it for for 70 years. But while they're in captivity, he writes to them over and over, repent, repent, repent. And he says, and yet you still refuse to off the page at me and I was caught in my heart where it says in light of all that the Israelites have done their refusal to repent and yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you and I started to think about that just just let it sit with you a second in this world that has such lack of grace in your family that may be in a big ball of lack of grace, you've got the God of the universe, regardless of our sin and selfishness, says to us, and yet, in spite of all that, I still long to be gracious to you. I long, God says, to pour my love. There's something about sin 
in my life that I've experienced, maybe you've experienced too, that sin kind of goes hand in glove with shame. That there is this sense of when I sin, especially when I, when I kind of get stuck in sin, that I, I, I just feel so ashamed that I feel like the Lord, I can't accept this. Can, can we be honest? I got a rough time with this one. And I've been wrestling with this, and I don't know if you've been wrestling with this, but it just inspired the sermon to say to you that for those of us who, are, oh, who have sin in their lives, oh wait, that's probably all of us, and yet God longs to be gracious to you. And, and I, I started to ask myself this question. How am I doing at receiving God's grace? And how am I doing at reflecting God's grace? If God longs to be gracious to me, do I long to be gracious to others? Do you? So as I'm ruminating over that, when you turn 50, you start to ruminate. The Holy Spirit reminded me of this story. This is kind of like one of those obscure stories in Scripture that you either know it or you don't know it, but today you're going to know it, and it's just one, it's a cool story. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 9. This is the story of David, and I'm going to say it here so you can know how to say it because this is a fun one, okay? His name is Mephibosheth. Try it, come on. Mephibosheth. All right, call him Bo. Let me set the scene. All right, the Israelites have been, while you turn there, 2 Timothy, wow, get a life. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Here's the scene. The Israelites have been living in the promised land for years, generations. God who promised that they would be a peculiar people with a peculiar relationship with God. The people turn around and say, we don't want you as our king. Can you give us a king like every other nation? And so God says to his prophet Samuel, who is the last judge of Israel, to anoint a man named Saul. Now, if you're taking notes and you write this down, according to 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2, I'm not going to read it, 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2, it appears that Saul's qualifications for being the new king was that he was handsome and tall. And, and well, if you know the story, you know he might have been a good looker, but he wasn't a good listener. I mean, he blew it. Every chance he got, he blew it. He ignored God's command multiple times. Bop, 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 bop. And finally, Samuel the prophet comes to the first king, Saul, and says, that's it, buddy. God's going to take your kingdom, rip it from your hands, and give it to somebody else. If you're taking notes, that's 1 Samuel 15, 28. And that man that he gives it to is David. Now, the Bible tells us that David is also handsome and ruddy. 
I'm not sure what ruddy, I, you can get a doctorate in theology. I don't know if anyone can explain what ruddy is. So here's this David who becomes, goes from shepherd boy to basically just the bodyguard of the king. He rises in the ranks with the people. Remember, he kills Goliath. He becomes Saul's personal bodyguard. He becomes best friends with Jonathan, the son of Saul, the prince. He marries Saul's daughter. And then Saul realized they got a great relationship. He's like a big daddy to him. And then he realizes that God's going to take the kingdom from Saul and give it to David. And then Saul decides to throw spears at him. Every chance he gets, they're, having, they're hanging out. He throws a spear at him. David's playing the music. He throws a spear at him. Brandon, maybe we should start doing that here. Just kidding. So Saul pursues David for years, and David, check this out, is hiding in caves, he's in the mountains, he's in the deserts, trying not to be killed by his father-in-law. And you thought things were bad around your Thanksgiving table. In the end, Saul and his sons get killed on the same day in battle with the Philistines. And David becomes the king. And he subdues all of the enemies around him. The Bible says he has peace on every side. And then he says, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. So he called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant, he replied. And the king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Verse 4, Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, there's his name, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, you following the lineage here, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson, Mephibosheth, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master Saul, I added that, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. All right. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table, David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants to Mephibosheth. 
Uh, someone help me. Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. I kind of love this story. Lisa was a school teacher in her third grade class back in 1994 or 5 or something like that. Did a play on Mephibosheth. And of course, they called him Bo. And I said, I always wanted to preach a sermon. Well, 28 years later, here I am. And it starts off like this. Now, check this out. Verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, I just want you to see this word. I think I have it on the PowerPoint. The word kindness here is kesed. This is the Hebrew word for the word kindness. It means kindness. It means love. It means mercy. It means grace. Now check this out because this is super important. Here is David, the shepherd boy, who literally when Samuel comes to anoint one of Jesse's sons, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the king. We don't know which one, but which one? They all pass in front of him, and he goes, there's none left. He goes, no, (laughs) just like me today. Oh, I do have David. He's out in the field should i get him oh i guess sure why not and and then god says this is the guy anoint him right i mean this guy came from nothing and now he's the king and so brimming with all of great gratefulness for what god did for him and making him king and because of his deep friendship with jonathan the prince of israel saul's son he was looking for someone check this out anyone in saul's family to whom he could pour his love on It wasn't because of anything good that Mephibosheth has done. It was simply because of David's gratefulness to God and his relationship with his dad. So look at the story, verse 2. They call in this man, Seba, who tells him, yeah, there is this guy. His name is Jonathan. Now look how he introduces him. He's, he's, um, He's his son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Now, we don't normally introduce people that way. That, this is not politically correct. In fact, between um, accessibility laws and Special Olympics, we've come a pretty long way regarding talking with and, and working with, um, with, with those with special needs. But listen, this is super-duper important. In David's day, a lame person was considered a second-class citizen. They, they were literally, economically, they were either not allowed to work or passed over from work. And so whenever you see a lame person in Scripture, think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are they doing? They're always begging. Second of all, if, if you're taking notes, Leviticus 21.18 tells us that if there's a priest who's got any sort of defect or, lo- or lame or brokenness, he wasn't allowed before the Father. He, I mean, before the, the throne, he wasn't allowed to enter in the temple. It was wrong. Uh, he was so broken, he wasn't allowed into the temple. So here you've got Mephibosheth, who's introduced to as he is the king's son or the prince's son, and by the way, he is lame in both feet. He was considered broken. By the way, the word Mephibosheth, it means from the mouth of shame. 
So here's David, the king. He learns he's broken. And yet he sees behind his disability or past his disability. And he sees an opportunity to show kindness. I wonder just quick, quick, what are the what are some of the hurdles in the lives of people that you need to show kindness to? What are some of the things that we need to look past in order to pass on the love of God? I wonder if there are ideologies or beliefs or politics that we need to pass over so that we can pass along God's graciousness. Verse 6. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, was brought to David. And look, look at this, look at this. You've got to read this right. You've got to read this right. Verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he replies, your servant? And I know this because the first words out of David's mouth in verse 7 are, don't be afraid. And you say, well, why would Mephibosheth be afraid? And I'll tell you why. Because in David's day, it was extremely, extremely popular for a new king to literally take every family member of the old king and slaughter them. Because every living heir of the king before you represented somebody who could take your throne. So for David to bring Mephibosheth before him, the only living survivor of the king who literally spent years trying to kill David, trying to to find him and kill him, and now David's got the throne, and here's the only guy who is a relative of King Saul, lame in both feet, broken, comes before him, and I can imagine the fear in his heart when he was told, the king wants to see you. David says to him, don't be afraid. Look at this verse 7. Don't miss verse 7. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the lands that belong to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Let me pull out what David did here. Two things. First of all, when Saul lost the kingship, Mephibosheth lost it everything. So when David says to him, I'm going to give you back your father's land, he is restoring the fortune of a prince of Israel. The second thing he does is he says, and you will always, three times in 13 verses, you will always eat at my table. Let me ask you a question. Well, I'll say it this way. Sometimes I have guests at my table. But who always eats at my table? Family. Do not miss it, my friends. David is doing something incredible. First, he's restoring his fortune, and now he's recognizing him as part of his family. 
And look at verse 8. Mephibosheth bows down. This isn't one of those. One of the, he's on his face before the king. And he says to him, who am I that the king should honor me? I, I don't deserve this. And you know what? He was dead right about that. I mean, think about it, right? David took the only living heir of his enemy who pursued him for years, who tried to kill him multiple times. David returns not only his fortune, but receives him into his family. It had nothing to do with what Mephibosheth had done or what he could possibly do for David, but it had to do with David's devotion and appreciation to God and to Jonathan that he showed, not just showed, but poured out the love, mercy, and grace. And verse 13 sums it up. Here's the sum up. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And oh, by the way, once again, he was crippled in both feet. In other words, Mephibosheth was broken, but he was blessed. He was weak, but he was welcome to the table. You say, great story. You know why I love this story? This is my story. This is my story. Listen, here's what the Bible says, because this is probably your story, and if it's not, today's a day where I invite you to make this story your story. Because here's what the Bible says, my friends. According to Romans chapter 3, we're all broken. We've got this sin issue. God created this perfect world and and we messed it up. He created us to live rightly. Instead, we chose to live rebelliously. We're broken because of our sin and we cannot enter the presence of a holy God like the old priests of old who were broken. Second, listen to this. We were born into the enemy's family. We were alienated with God. Next verse, buddy. We were alienated with God. We are born enemies of the king. But here's the good stuff. Romans 5, 8, if you're taking notes. God determined to make good for us. He reached out to us while we were still sinners. God demonstrated his love for us. And here we go. Fourth. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, some of the most famous verses in the Bible. There is nothing that we could have done or any ability that we could have had to be saved. It is by grace that we have been saved. He sent his son to forgive us our debts, to pay our sin debt. And listen to this. He restored to us the spiritual fortune of his grace. And last, what Ron read earlier today, even in our brokenness, our failures, our shortcomings, we're still invited to the table. Not as guests, but as family. When God says to us, Behold what manner of love the Father has poured out on us 
that we can be called children of God. Think about that. In God's love, we go from enemy to family. Amid our brokenness, our sin, and our rebellion, even still, yet, God longs to be gracious to us. How do you respond to that? I don't know what your response is to that, but can I give you two that I came up with? The first one is like Mephibosheth, who when David restored his, fa- his fortune and re- received him as family, he fell on his face before him and he humbly accepted his love and grace. I, I believe that we, if you call yourself a child of, of Jesus, uh, of, the, of the Father who, is, who has accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, I believe that our response needs to be one of eternal amazement, constantly going before the Lord and saying, who are we, King Jesus, that you should honor us in such a way? I mean, could you imagine? Just, just picture this, okay? Just picture, here comes Mephibosheth. I don't know if he was carried in or crawled in. I don't know. They didn't have wheelchairs as far as I know. Maybe he was on a cart, pushed in. I don't know. He comes before the king, and the king says to him, listen, I don't know where you've been eating, but I'm going to restore all your fortune, and from now on, you're going to always eat at my table. Could you imagine if Mephibosheth went, nah, Thanks, appreciate it. I'm going to go back to my studio apartment. Listen with your heart. That's how so many people have responded to the gift of Jesus Christ. He paid for our sins with his death. And many people have heard this truth. And have refused to bow and honor the king. And I'm just going to ask, is that your story? You say, well, I'm in church. Yeah, I mean, I can be in a McDonald's. It doesn't make me a hamburger. Is that your story? Because I've got news for you, friends. Dear, dear friends, I, I need you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. It doesn't matter who your father is, who your mother is, who your grandparents is. It doesn't matter your lineage. It, good news is it doesn't even matter what you do. Be, one day, we will all come before the king. And if you haven't come to the place where you have bowed before him and said, oh, thank you for your gift of eternal life. I depend on you. I completely trust in you. I surrender myself to you. If you haven't done that, regardless of your age, whether you're a teenager or you've lived tons of years, I was just trying to be cute there. If you haven't done that, today is the day. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation the book of Hebrews says. So even if you've lived most of your life within the sound of church bells, today surrender your heart to Jesus. I won't leave today too late. I'll stay around. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Our second response, 
I believe is this, and, and hear me say this. We who have received the grace of God are called to reflect the grace of God. Here, here's a truth that bears repeating. We demonstrate how grateful we are for God's love and kindness by how generously we offer God's love and kindness to other people. I can tell how grateful I am based on my attitude. Church, and I'm going to say this with the big C church, not just Oasis Church, but just in general. I'm really concerned I visit a lot of churches, and I'm really concerned how the anger and the rage of the world has infected the church of Christ. It seems lately that winning arguments has become more important than winning the lost. I'm concerned because kindness and grace that have been short supply with the world has also become in short supply with the church. And as a result, we're losing our effectiveness. That sense of something's different about you has kind of been disappearing. Jesus said it this way, that you're to be salt. Have you ever tasted food that doesn't have salt? It's like, ah. We've lost our kind of our salty edge of of kindness. Oh, we became salty. (laughs) But we've lost that salty edge of kindness. Jesus says we're to become the light. We're to shine in such a way so that people would see our good deeds and praise the Father in heaven, that they would look at the way we act and go, there's something different about you. If we raise our voices in anger instead of our hands in service, how will people know that Jesus is truly raised from the dead? If we don't reflect the grace of God, if his people don't reflect the grace of God, then how will the world know that the Lord longs to be gracious to them? Are you following me, church? Listen to what... Paul says in in the book of uh, Colossians chapter 3, it's one of my favorite sections. I just keep going back to it for me, not for you, but here we go. Listen to this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. (laughs) Forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, as. In Espanol, decimos como si, as the same way. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together, and us, by the way, in perfect unity. I love this, these verses because it, it, it not only describes who we are, it tells us what we're supposed to do. Here's this beautiful reminder that you are God's in Christ. You are God's chosen people. Now, we're not going to get into the theology there, but I got news for you. In a schoolyard pick, he picked you first. God's 
chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This may be the first person in history who said that to you. Holy and dearly loved you. And he says, now, because we're God's children, because we're God's holy uh, people, holy and dearly loved, this is what we are to do. We are to clothe ourselves with this compassion and kindness. Now, <laughs> you chose what clothing to wear today. I did too. I went to my closet, put on clothes. Lisa said, no, you can't wear that in public. I changed. I'm just kidding. I chose what to wear today. You chose what to wear today. Church in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we get the ability to choose compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. We have the ability to bear with one another. We get to choose to clothe ourselves with forgiveness and to put it all together with love. The question isn't, do we get to? The question is, do we? How we demonstrate grace to others reflects how grateful we are for the grace that we've received. Powerful true story. October 2006. Some of you remember this. A man walked into an Amish schoolhouse and shot 10 children. Remember? Five of them died immediately. I watched a, a news program where they're interviewing the mom of the guy who did it. And she says, we all heard the sirens and we all heard the rumors and it started to grow as to this calamity that happened when I received a phone call from my husband who said, come home immediately. I rushed back to the house and I could see in his eyes the truth. And he looked at me and he said, it was our son. And she and her husband, of course, started to grieve and weep. And then they said to each other, we got to leave. We got to get out of here. How can we live here? And as they were wrestling with that question or that thought, he said, the same night a caravan of Amish buggies drove up their street. And family after family of Amish, even some of those whose kids were killed that morning, came into this lady and husband's house and said, please don't leave, we want you to stay. They extended such forgiveness to these parents and even to the shooter, they went to his funeral. And the, the newscaster who's doing the article just looks at the camera and goes, the power of forgiveness. Could you imagine the effect our church would have if we who receive the grace of God actively and intentionally sought ways to reflect the grace of God? I dare you. I dare you to join me this week in asking that question that David asked. Lord, for your sake, with a grateful heart, is there anyone 
that I can show kindness to. You see, it's our call as children of God to reflect the love and the kindness of God. (laughs) Because it's not about who gets the last word. It's about who gets to the table. By the way, he gets the last word. And he prepares the table. Let me pray. It's possible, Lord, that there's somebody here who needed to learn as much from this message as I did. They've had a half hour, 40 minutes to get the teaching.